Hey, everybody. Welcome to Terror Talk with Shannon and Kathy. Hey. Hello. Today on the show, we are doing one of our Case Files episodes, and that means that we're going to revisit cases we've either talked about before or new ones, and we're going to give you updates and just really have a true crime discussion. That's that's what this is. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Lori Vallow first, shall mm. we? Yeah, we shall. I mean, the latest news as of this moment in time is that she <laughs> she's requested a new trial. Which is easy to get, right? It's like yeah. super, super simple to do. Basically, on the prem, two weeks after she was found guilty, Lori Vallow decided to request a new trial based on the fact that she feels as if a lot of the instructions the jury was given by the judge and others were confusing. And she kind of is going, or her legal team is going on. You know, that the jury admitted, one of the jury members admitted in an interview done afterwards that there was this one thing they found confusing, and now that's like a whole deal. And that the closing argument had confusing information or instructions in it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, let's talk about privilege. She's like, hold on, like gaslighting the whole court yeah. around what she's not understanding. I watched her verdict too, and mm-hmm. um, just, her whole demeanor almost knowing that this moment wasn't going to be it for her no yeah no her sentencing is in july it's on july 31st so i'm curious what their if any appeals i mean not any appeals if any um i don't know if there'll be any changes because Mm -hmm. it, it seems like it was pretty you know across the board everybody ruled against her so it is not easy to get a new trial no, it's not. So it's that is a very hard ask. So, the fact that her legal team feels that they can do it is interesting to right? me. Yeah, I wanted to mention a long a while back. You know, we've had many. First of all, we've had several F episodes on Lori Vallow. We also did an episode with an author who wrote a book about the case, the Lori Vallow Daybell case. There are several opportunities to go back and listen to our commentary on this case, but we do like to kind of see how it's going especially when there's something interesting that's happening like oh yeah i want a new trial because you found me guilty i don't agree (laughs) that's like oh yeah i don't agree with this yeah no no thank you your honor this just doesn't feel right (laughs) i don't like it all right so we did a story on a young lady whose last name is Mm Shabusiness recently, and we just love that name for one. And so it's on our radar, but I did want to tell Kathy in February, there's a bunch of footage of her being at an arraignment and she literally like stands up and starts attacking her former lawyer. Like there's video footage of her standing up and like going after her, going after him, sorry. And (laughs) shortly after that, the lawyer removed himself from the case and they asked for a new competency trial. So there was a competency trial before the attack where she was deemed competent to stand trial. They didn't see any reason why she wouldn't be competent. And then she attacked her lawyer and then he was, you know, he removed himself. And then the new lawyer asked for a new competency because uh, most likely like, Hey, she was violent with that guy. Let's, (laughs) let's, let's try to, let's try to bank on that. She's got problems. Yeah. Sadly, violence just doesn't make you incompetent, but there is a, uh, 
yeah, there's a trial in July. A new a trial. Okay, so Shabiz. Yeah, so Shabiz still in the oh, news. Oh, Shabiz. <laughs> so our, our our lady, Elizabeth Holmes, which we did. Oh, yeah. Theranos. Ther- we did, yeah. <laughs> yeah, these impersonations. <laughs> Of an impersonation of the disgraced Theranos (laughs) CEO. Uh, Elizabeth will begin her more than 11 year sentence on May 30th. So by the time this comes out, she's she's in prison at the federal prison camp in Bryan, Texas. The minimum security women's prison is located 100 miles from Holmes hometown in Texas. It houses women convicted of nonviolent crimes like the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City star Jen Shaw, who's serving six and a half years in prison on fraud charges. At the Texas prison, Holmes will be expected to dress in khaki pants and shirts and will have to dispense with any jewelry exceeding $100 in value per inmate admission and orientation handbook. Why is this important? Because Elizabeth Holmes only wore black. That was a power color for her. And she is being, for for someone like Elizabeth, this is like way outside of her comfort zone, talking about white people's problems. She'll also be required to wake up at 6 a.m. and make her bed every morning in a prescribed manner. She was also (laughs) given orders to pay $452 million in restitution for the massive medical fraud scheme. Elizabeth, I'm sorry. Getting pregnant didn't work to keep you out of prison. She did have her baby, that just didn't work. Some now, you know, daddy's she, gonna have to raise that baby. Now she has a child that she won't be raising. That's right. So Sh- that was not a that tactic didn't work. Super life choice. I'm well, sure, I mean, I'm sure she, daddy is happy to. She have doesn't have the best judgment. A lovely child that never did anything to anyone. Right. Uh, Elizabeth. Elizabeth Holmes. Six a.m. Really. Elizabeth. How terrible. <laughs> they did you wrong. They're they did tell you dirty. They're going to actually pull that power move of making you make your bed a particular way. Mm-hmm. Prescribed Man, manner. What are you going to do about she that? that? She's already OCD. She's probably fine hell. with all of this. Right. Or Except the khaki. Just... <laughs> yeah. Except the fashion choices. Thanks so much. I wanted to mention Koberger. He... Uh, mm-hmm. It's interesting. There's a ton of articles now, which doesn't surprise me, about like Ted Bundy survivors uh, and experts correlating the gruesome attacks to like Brian Koberger's attack. You know, they're they're finding these like similarities and and doing things like that. Obviously, Koberger was caught far beyond, far before he could create the kind of damage and hullabaloo that ted bundy wreaked havoc on all these lives but koberger has not reached the full potential of his violence i don't think i think he right. was caught and and i'm appreciative of that before Absolutely. he could get any farther with his thing but they're making some correlations which is what we do in the media here so i imagine at some point we will probably make that correlation as mm-hmm. we go through the trial and in, in, inevitably his demeanor is so strange isn't it have you it's, watched him yeah i have i just i was watching the arraignment where he had to plead and he answered a bunch of questions like do you understand the charges yes do you know everything they do at the arraignment and then when it came to entering a plea, his lawyer stood up and said, we are standing silent is what they call it. We're standing silent on the plea. And then the, and then the judge then offers a not guilty plea to the record type of thing. And so they're doing that obviously 
for reasons mm -hmm. because that can be an effective tactic yep. later down the line. That's so right. that's what they did. And yeah, there's a lot of, mm, you think he'll try to go for insanity? I, I don't personally think he will. Yeah. He might be trying to be convinced to do so. Well, that's what I'm saying is otherwise, you know, it's, it, it's interesting to think about why they allowed the judge to do that. Cause we know in insanity cases, they have to first declare that they're guilty. Yeah, I don't, I really don't think they're going to go for that because the questions, now that I think about it, the questions before that are, do you understand the charges? Yes. Do you understand that? Like they did the sort of, but that's just competency. I understand. Yeah. It's like, mm, I don't know because yeah. I don't think the standing silent tactic is for that. Okay. Yeah. I mean, what, I don't yeah. know. We'll see. Be interesting. I mean, I, I don't see it going that way either. It was just an interesting choice. It is. Yeah. It is an interesting choice and there are reasons for it apparently, but That'll be uh, that'll be an interesting, I think, case to follow. Yeah, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah and that's kind of why I don't really want to speak on the reasons why they might be doing it now, just conjecture wise. But I think when we get to when we get there, it'll yeah. be really interesting to kind of pick that apart a little bit. Agreed. And and um, I think that they also. I don't know. If, sorry if you said this, but mm -hmm. I also think they decided at this point that at least as of right now, the, none of the victims need to, or the surviving victim does not need to show up. To yeah. Testify. I saw that they, I, yeah, I, I wasn't, I hadn't read about that necessarily, but I did read that they were subpoenaing the subpoenaing subpoenaing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I word. know. I know. It just sounded like really bad coming out of my mouth. Okay. They subpoenaed the, his parents mm -hmm. are going to have to testify. That's right. Which I thought was interesting. And so you're saying they've decided they're, the they were trying to get to. The, yeah the the defense was trying to get the surviving victim mm -hmm. to have to testify at least at this point I think they they've been able to avoid that in any sort of preliminary okay. I don't know if that'll last but as of right, right. now they're like no because we we know that's going to be incredibly traumatizing but of course they're trying to sometimes not. it's incredibly necessary though unfortunately yep, for sure to get to the end result that you want. Danny Masterson. Yeah. Good old 70, I remember 70 talking show. about that story on the show. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, this case started a, a while, like three years ago. Yeah. So jurors began a fourth day of deliberations, um, fourth day of deliberations in May in the retrial of that 70 Show's actor, Danny Masterson, who, if those of you don't remember or you have not heard, he was charged with raping three women at his Hollywood Hills home between 2001 and 2003. Um, the jury was handed the case last Wednesday after just over a day of closing arguments by the attorney. During last year's trial, jurors leaned in favor of acquittal on all three counts, voting 10 to 2 on one count and 8 to 4 on another and 7 to 5 on the third, but they were unable to reach a unanimous decision leading to the mistrial last November 30th. So they confirmed in January that they wanted to retry the actor and the judge rejected a defense effort to have the charges dismissed. Well, it's like, yeah, I mean, I... Good luck, defense, but, the, you know, it was a hung jury, so they're going to have to retry. So in the rebuttal argument on Wednesday, Deputy, Deputy District Attorney Reinhold Mueller told the jury, this defendant drugged and raped each one of these victims. It is time to hold Mr. Masterson accountable for what he has done. 
Yet the defense attorney urged jurors during his closing argument that there wasn't enough evidence and questioning the credibility of these victims. So in the final remarks to the jury in the retrial, Mueller said that three alleged victims were like Masterson, members of the Church of Scientology, and told jurors that the church retaliated against them. So what ended up happening in this retrial is they started to preface and use the Church of Scientology quite a bit in the argument, which they found to be kind of interesting that it, it started to become more of this Church of Scientology thing. Masterson's lawyer said he was not alleging that there was some grand conspiracy against his client, but told jurors the alleged victims have spoken with each other despite an L.A. Police Department detective, detective's admonition and that their accounts have been tweaked throughout the years. The Church of Scientology issued a statement late Wednesday criticizing the prosecution's characterizations of the church's actions. So it sounds like there's a couple of different things going on that they're trying to emphasize that the Church of Scientology's, you know, whatever their teachings were may have influenced Masterson to become this person. Scientology's like, we may do a lot of things, but we do not <laughs> right. promote rapists. Right, right. Right. Um, so it's interesting. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. I mean, it was, I think that uh, this is not a comment necessarily for or against the church of Scientology, but it kind of low hanging fruit that because there's so much out there about Scientology, but you know, these are always really interesting cases. This is still open. I don't think anything has been decided yet, but when you have three women, all who have given the same account with details and I just think it's very convenient for them to be like, well, they all spoke to each other and made up a story. It's like, well, Highly unlikely, but, you know, we'll see what happens. As regarding the, the lawsuit, the Church of Scientology issued a statement saying, the church denies the allegations of harassment as obvious, cynical, and self-serving fictions, and the church knows it will be vindicated. So they've, I think, separated themselves from this whole thing and said, Danny, you're on your own. This has nothing to do with us. Well, that is really interesting because it, it moves me right into the next thing that I wanted to talk about. Mm-hmm. I watched this true crime documentary called Victim Slash Suspect uh, 2023. This is very interesting. And, and sometimes when I was watching it, I imagined Kathy sitting beside me <laughs> yelling. Oh, you know, I don't like yell. Be, no, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you forget I edit the podcast. I okay. Yell. <laughs> Sometimes when I watch these things, when it's a female-centered crimes, I think of Kathy and her going, "Oh my god, come on!" <laughs> yeah. Okay. So what this one is about? It's on Netflix, by the way. Investigative journalist Ray De Leon travels nationwide to uncover and examine a shocking pattern: young women tell the police they've been sexually assaulted. But instead of finding justice, they're charged with the crime of making a false report, arrested, and even imprisoned by the system they believed would protect them. I gave this documentary a three star, which is kind of is like a high mark for me with true crime docs these days, because I mm-hmm. think I think because of what we do here, we've watched so many of them. Not not at all all of them. My God, there's so many, but we have watched a lot of them, so I am highly judgmental of them. I gave it a three stars. I know some of the reviews were that it was sort of overly produced and exploitive and all of this. I, I didn't have that reaction to it, but also, you know, Kathy could watch it and be like, they exploited the women. You know, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, I, you know, I only have my perspective. So for me... I didn't know this was 
it made sense to me, but I didn't really ever like lean into knowing this. So what it does is it follows several victims of rape and them, their stories around how they reported that to police. And there is a lot of footage of their interrogations. And so you see what happens with them, the questions they have to answer. You see how they shut down. They're very young women. And then there's a little bit in it. It doesn't go very intensely into the psychology of it, which I kind of liked because I kind of know all of that. And I just wanted to hear the stories, right? So, and this journalist has worked on this for about four years to bring this story to the forefront. And she really uncovers a massive pattern, like the description said, of police interrogating victims and then leading them into saying that they lied. Oh, God. And we have done shows about that before. And they actually they have a couple of experts on there that tell you sort of the statistics around it's basically between like two and eight or one in 10%, something like that of people who have been sexually assaulted, who end up being not truthful. So it's a very small percentage. That means 90 to 99% of people who've been sexually assaulted are telling the truth. So if you look at it from that perspective, it's heartbreaking to watch these young ladies who have been assaulted go through these interrogations, but they also follow up. They show you them in current, not current day. Well, it's probably current day, current day, at least when it was shot and sort of how their stories progressed and the advocacy and the sometimes positive outcomes that came from it. So there is that arc of the story. They also had police officers that they interviewed that were very much like pro this and and not pro that, you know, so that was really good too. It's like, why would police officers do this? And so they had that perspective. And then they had the perspective of a police officer who's retired now, but who would have never done that and actually trains people to interview trauma victims and sexual assault victims. Like he literally is on the sexual assault task force and he, they show him a little bit like training new officers to interview sexual assault victims, not to do this, like not doing this. So, and then he tells his story and why he's on the unit and that's a very personal story. So I found there was a lot, of good about this. Not only was she exposed, this journalist was exposing this pattern, which I thought was very important for people to watch and know about because, you know, God forbid anybody's in that situation. I just think it would be, it's a cautionary tale. What is the name of it again? Victim suspect. And what, where is it streaming? Netflix. Okay, I'm gonna take it. I'm gonna watch it. It sounds really good. Yeah, it just kind of sounds like up your alley, and also that you'll yell at the screen. Yep. And you yes, know, it will. I think that shows emotion, and that's fabulous. <laughs> uh, I think you had one last thing you wanted to. Yeah, uh, this isn't um, entirely new news, but every now and then um, they'll release something on Carrie Rawson, who's the daughter of uh, Dennis Rader, the BTK, and mm-hmm. you and I we did our series on oh, BTK. Yeah, I, know you, I know you follow her her story. Yeah, I, I'll definitely follow her news. I think her story's incredibly interesting and tragic, and all of that. I can't imagine what it would be to be the child of a serial killer, especially one as infamous as. Dennis Rader, 
So some of this information does come from a 2019 interview, but the article just came out um, a couple weeks ago. So as Rawson was talking to Esquire saying, we didn't know we were living with a psychopath that, you know, how, how good they are at hiding. And Rawson's mother had lived with Raider for more than three decades. And most of the time he was a good loving father and hot and husband. So Carrie Rawson has a lot of pleasant memories of her childhood and of her father, but, but she did, you know, I think in a lot of these situations, it takes that hindsight, Right. Absolutely. And she's like looking back, you know, there were incidents of anger and in one case in particular, extreme violence. So Rawson said, while um, enraged for seemingly little reason, Raider nearly strangled her brother Brian once with his bare hands in front of the entire family. And it was thank- thankfully for his family, an isolated incident. But Raider, who was involved in a local cho- church and a Boy Scout leader, was otherwise kind. Rawson said, you know, obviously she's very emotional in this interview, uh, stating that, you know, this man even walked me down the aisle at my wedding. I can't imagine, there's one little piece left I'm going to read, but just to, to pause there for a minute and to think about how that incident too of just watching her brother almost get strangled to death in front of the entire family. But because of this being an isolated incident and all of these other things that he did to look good, that, you know, cognitive dissonance is real, right? So it's like, how do we make sense of this? Oh, he must've just been really angry and it's unlike him. But we know that most people, even in, in the throes of rage, do not have the ability to take someone that close to death, right. especially their own child. Right. So that's alarming. She also mentions how she later found out her father nearly had an 11th victim in 2004, which was one year before his arrest. The woman was not alone in her house and Raider left. I talk about this, this, specific incident in when when I did the podcast on him when the the series on him if he had committed that murder though she says he would have gone camping with with us afterward as a family Uh, so these are like things she's putting those dates together and then she also said that she mentioned her father's unusual preoccupation with passwords and security throughout her childhood Raiders studied criminal justice at Wichita State and later on in his life he worked for home security company ADT the perfect cover for breaking into victims' homes. Rawson later realized and remembered her father working late at night, but now putting together that he was really out hunting his victim. So I just, I can't imagine what it must be like to be her and now know this truth and be able to imagine where she was at that time that she was assuming something else was going on and now starting to connect those dots. Yeah, I've seen you follow her story pretty closely and I I see you being incredibly empathetic to the fact that she's a trauma victim Mm -hmm. and that she's putting together that story of of that childhood that she didn't know she was having. I've said this before, but it's that feeling of when something happens in any relationship that you have. And then our knee-jerk reaction as humans is often to be like, I didn't really know that person. And we've talked about this before where it's like, well, he was both. It's a dialectic. There's this whole half of him or more than half of him that you didn't know about. And then there was the, uh, then there was how he treated and engaged with you that you did know about. That's That's still real and valid. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's incredibly tough. I have a lot of empathy for her too. And I appreciate you bringing the updates. 
that's our show for today. Show. We hope you enjoy the, the true crime discussion. We will continue to do that a little bit every now and then. And we thank you so much for listening. If there's any cases you want or people or events you want us to follow and have comment on, please, please let us know either via our email or via social media. Thank you so much. This has been an episode of Terror Talk. My name is Shannon. And I'm Kathy. Sleep safe, everyone.